morning. Come on, somebody. I don't know if that won't get you fired up. I don't know what will, man. Then came the morning. The amazing thing about this story is not only that it's true, it's what it means for us. That not only that Jesus died on the cross, but he rose again. And if he rose again and the tomb is empty, then that means anything is possible. Anything is possible. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the truth of those words. God, we have come together today to celebrate an event that did happen. But not just an event, God, we are here to celebrate a person who accomplished this event. Jesus, who died on a cross in our place for our sins and then rose again. Not only proving that he was God, but making a way for us to also one day rise again and defeat death. I love how the Bible calls him the first fruits, which means he's the first of many more to come. And so God, as we celebrate this today, I pray that that is what would happen, that more people would be raised to life in the name of Jesus. As we look about how you and you alone have the power to do that. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather together to celebrate this. And then the opportunity I have to preach this, God, I pray that you'd help me to preach this in a way that honors you, first and foremost, and then two, is helpful to us. And God, as we open up your word now, we pray that you would speak to us, open eyes and ears to see and to hear. God, fill us with your spirit so that we may know and believe. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to Easter at Revolution. Uh, it's a privilege to be with you, and we've been in a story for the last several weeks here at Revolution Church, which has been preaching through the gospel according to John, and we've been in John chapter 11, and so it may feel like in just a second when I get into the scripture that we're starting in the middle of a story, and the reason that it feels that way is because we're starting in the middle of a story. But, but what I'm saying to you is I want you to understand some of the backstory that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And if you're new, you can go back and watch those messages on our website as we've done now. This is the third week in John chapter 11. And it's a rather famous story that Jesus has this interaction with his friends, a guy named Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And this story in John chapter 11 is a rather famous story because it is arguably Jesus' second greatest miracle. And I only say his second greatest because of what he did on Easter, which we'll talk about that as well. But this story mirrors that and helps us understand it in that not just what Jesus did, but who Jesus is. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it with me to John chapter 11. If you have one, if you have a phone, if you don't have one, don't worry about it. We have the verses here on the screen. And I want you to be able to follow along. And again, I'll kind of give you a backstory of what's happening because we are coming in in the middle of the chapter. So I'm gonna read a little bit and then we'll stop and talk about it, all right? John chapter 11, verse 28 says this. When she, this is Martha, had said this, 
She just responded back to Jesus to something that he said to her, which I'll refer back to at the end of the message. So she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, this is the village of Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were going with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So this is kind of the story, right? He's died, they think that she is going to go weep at the tomb, but Jesus has just showed up. Verse 32, says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if. And that's a big word. In fact, if you're new, I like for you to call and respond every now and then, so I'm gonna try that. I want you to say the word if. Lord, if. if. That was good, all right? Let's do this again, both locations, online, no matter where you're at. You can just say it out, all right? Lord, what? If. if. The reason why I want you to say that is because one, it's gonna repeat again in just a second and I'll highlight that, but two, I wanna highlight Mary's statement here. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The reason why I wanted you to say if is because if you're honest with me, and I know this is church, a lot of times you feel like you can't be honest, but this is a church where we pride ourselves on you can be honest. If we're honest, we would say all of us have had moments like this where we have said to God, man, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you would have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. And before we get into the rest of the story and the meat of the story, the good part of the story, I want us to stop here for a second and talk about the uncomfortable part of the story. Because I don't want our church ever, and this is what I was just kind of referring to, I don't want our church ever to be kind of just shallow, emotional people where we just kind of pass over the uncomfortable things in life and we say cheesy things when people have you know, experienced real trauma and you're like, well, you know, God works all things together for good, which is a Bible verse and I'm not making fun of it, but what I'm saying is we can kind of use it just to cover up things that are happening because we don't like dealing with the uncomfortable. And the reason why I'm saying this is because, especially if you're new, but if you're not, this is a great reminder that you have to start where you are because you can't start where you're not. Now, I know that's real profound. <laughs> real profound. And I know this is why y'all come here for deep stuff like that. You can't start where you're not. But before you say, thanks, Captain Obvious, I want you to hear me say this. Then if we can't start where we're not, and we know that the how comes so many of us try to start where we're not. We try to act like we got it all together. We try to act like, you know, in our good Easter clothes, we all good. And we come to church and people ask us how we're doing. We're not honest, we're like, we're good, man. You ain't good. And we play these weird games in church, which are lame hobbies to me. We're like, how are you, brother? I'm good, brother. That's good, brother. See you next week, brother. I don't know why we say brother, although we are brothers and sisters in Christ, but you know what I'm saying. And I just wanna stop here for a second because I want you to hear me say, God is not afraid of where you are. He's not afraid to meet you where you are. And the last couple years have been wild. 
and crazy and global. And if we're straight, then we would say, you know what, man? I got some if questions. I'm, I'm struggling with some stuff that if this would have happened, then this would have happened. If God would have done this, then this. And I want you to know, even as a pastor, I have these times. And for me personally, it's more about what I should have done, less about what God should have done. I, I can kill myself with some ifs, man. Man, if I would have done this, if I would have bought toilet paper before COVID, right? Man, if I would have bought Tesla stock during COVID, if I would have bought a house or bought land because all these people have moved into Georgia from God knows where, what is happening? Welcome to Georgia, by the way. We love you. We're glad that you're here. I'm just saying, I wish I would have bought something if. And we wrestle with these questions, and they're big questions. I mean, Mary comes to Jesus, and she knows Jesus. They are friends. They are super close, as you're going to see in just a second. And she's wrestling, and she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I want you to see Jesus' response to her. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come see. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. If you're looking to start some Bible memorization, I would suggest starting there. John 11, verse 35, you can have it memorized by the time you leave. Check, got it down. Jesus wept. Now, before I get into the Jesus wept part, I want to talk about the phrase where it says Jesus was deeply moved. And the reason why that's important is because, again, I want to show you that Jesus himself is an emotional being. See, we forget that God is an emotional God. We are made in the image of God, which means our emotions image God. And so God has emotions. God feels in this moment, Jesus feels, and, and what he feels is important to understand. In fact, this word here, deeply moved, in the English doesn't quite translate well, and what I mean by that is the ESV is one of my favorite English translations. It's the one we preach at most often here because it is a very accurate English translation, but anytime you're translating languages, some meaning can be lost, and it's hard to find exact words that translate well. And so we say phrases like deeply moved, but if we're not careful, we can read that from just an English perspective and like, oh, look, Jesus is deeply moved. That's so nice. He's so, I mean, just, oh, let's love him. But this phrase here, deeply moved, isn't a sentimental phrase. Literally, what it means is Jesus got mad. Jesus got indignant. Not just angry, five letters, that's a good word, but indignant. He was frustrated. He was mad. And just in case you missed that, he was greatly troubled, which means angry. Now, this is when you're like, hold up, I thought you just said that, you know, God is not afraid to, you know, where we are and he'll meet. Yes, that's true. And what I want to point out to you, Jesus isn't mad at Mary for asking the question. 
And this is important for us to understand. Jesus isn't mad at Mary. Jesus is mad at what's happening to Mary. And that's important for us to note. Because God gets angry when those he loves experience life in ways that it wasn't meant to be. See, God, when he created the world, he created it with life and love. He did not create it with sin and evil and death. And this is a great problem, and all of us have to wrestle with this. It's like, how did this come about? And here's what I want you to see. Evil and death are not things in that they are created things. They are subservient things in that it's like darkness. Darkness is simply the absence of something else. It's the absence of light. So death is the absence of life. And God didn't create death. God didn't create evil. God didn't create sin. That all came about as a result of human choices that brought about consequences to our choices to deny God. And how here's Jesus face to face with people that he loves and they are experiencing this world in ways that he never intended for them to experience and it makes him mad. He is angry. And we don't like talking a lot today about the wrath of God. Everybody likes to talk about the love of God. I just want to talk about God is love. Everybody love. And that's fine because God is love. But what's amazing to me, there's only one verse in John, 1 John where it says God is love, but there's over 300 verses that says he's holy. But we don't like talking about all that stuff. We don't like talking about his holiness. We don't like talking about his anger because uh, a God of wrath, that just sounds very old, right? Like we're more enlightened now. This is the God of love. But let me just say this to you. You can't have love without anger. And this was when you're like, bro, I know I've been married for quite some time. I get it. <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. <laughs> I just had my 20-year anniversary this year. Come on, somebody. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. She's so grateful for me. And um, <laughs> I'm very grateful for her. But, but let's talk about that. I love my wife. And if you come at my wife, you're going to get my wrath. You're going to get, yeah, come on. Yeah. You're going to get my anger because I love her. And I don't like it when things happen to her in ways that they shouldn't happen to her. See, my love is what motivates my anger because I couldn't say that I love my wife if I don't get mad when someone sins against her. See, I couldn't say that I love my kids. Oh, I love my kids. And yes, sometimes I get mad at my kids. But if you want to see the wrath of Jason, come at my kids. I take martial arts just for this very reason. And here's what I want you to see. It is not bad or wrong for God to get mad. His wrath has to be there or he's not good. He's not holy. So Jesus is in this moment and he is seeing the effects of sin and death ravage a family that he loves and he is angry about it. But also it says, the shortest verse, he wept. See, he doesn't just get angry, he also grieves. And these two emotions are so important to understand. And, and amazingly, you know, school teaches us a lot of things. Parents teach us a lot of things, but almost always neither school nor families teach us how to grieve well. 
teach us how to handle emotions well. So many of us are so emotionally stunted because we never had an example to show us, and yet I'm trying to show you one right here. Jesus wept. He was angry and he was grieved. And those two emotions are signs of emotional health. And notice, Jesus is about to do something big. If you know the story, you know what's coming. So why in the world is he angry and grieved right now? Because not over just what happened, but over how it is affecting others and what happened. Look at the next two verses. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Another great question. See, if you don't know that story, in John chapter nine, Jesus heals a man that was born blind, gives him sight. And naturally people are saying, well, if he could have done that, why didn't he do this? Which is something we also have to wrestle with. Because God can perform miracles. We believe that. That didn't stop. He's still doing that today. But there are times when he chooses not to. And it's hard for us to contemplate that. Well, if you can, then why didn't you? And here's all I can say to that. You and I can't understand an infinite God in a finite brain. And thank God we can't. Because if God was limited to the capacity of your ability to understand him, that's a really small God. I'm so much... That didn't even make good English. I am so glad that God is so much bigger than my ability to comprehend him. And so I don't understand how it all works either, but what I do know is this. Look at how the story goes. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead Four days. This is one of those verses where it makes me believe the Bible. Because if, if they're making this story up, they don't put that in. But the reason why it's in is because that's the, nat the natural, rational human response. That's what I would say if somebody tried to dig up somebody I loved after four days. I'd be like, bro, they stanky. <laughs> What? And, and just think, this is over 2,000 years ago when they didn't have embalming fluid and all the things that we have today, all the practices we have where, you know, put makeup on and nice clothes and all that kind of stuff. In Jewish culture, you had to bury them within 24 hours, wrap them up, put them in a cave, cave seal it off, because if not, it's going to get real bad in a hurry. Because rigor mortis is set in, and that ain't good, and it don't smell good, and they're in a the desert, and it's hot. So you think about this moment, you're like... The reason why I love this story is because this is the most natural, rational, human response. Uh, Lord, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't, who am I? Who am I to say what you can do and shouldn't do? But uh, if we open this, <laughs> it ain't going to be good. And then look at what Jesus says. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? That, what's that next word there? Yeah. If. Let's try that again. This is why I was telling you say it earlier. Did I not tell you that? What? Yeah. If you believe you would see the glory of God. See, the reason why God is not afraid of us bringing our if statements to him is because he has a bigger if statement to us. 
See, she says, if you had been here, one sister, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. And that's the response that I was saying about earlier that we need to understand and hear. I don't understand why everything happens the way it does happen, but here's what I do understand. If I believe that I will see something greater than what I even asked for. And this statement, if it's a conditional statement, I can't see unless I believe. So it's conditional. If I want to see, then I must believe. And that's what Jesus is saying to these sisters. Didn't I tell you? If you believe, you'll see. Then look at the next verse. So they took away the stone. <laughs> it's just crazy. Side note, I always have sermons within sermons. These are freebies, all right? Jesus is gonna ask you to do some crazy things that don't make no sense from a human perspective. Do it anyway. Jesus is gonna ask you to make some decisions on faith when all human evidence says don't. But they did it. Watch, if they wouldn't have taken away the stone, if they wouldn't have done what they could do, then they would have never seen what God could do. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now listen to this. I love this. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Now, Jesus is about to do a big thing. And I love God for doing big things. Easter's a big thing. But as I've walked with God now for over three decades, I have come to love not just the big things, but also the little things. When God does little things, when he does things to remind me that only I would know, something that I thought or something I was struggling with, and he, he does a little thing and a certain song will come on, somebody will say a certain thing, a Bible verse will come up. I'm like, that's exactly what I was wrestling with, what I was thinking about. And that's a little thing that you did. Thank you, God. Because anybody who's been in a relationship, I was talking about marriage earlier, you're expected to do big things, right? You're expected to show up on anniversary. You're expected to show up for birthdays. You're expect, if you do Valentine's, you're expected to do those things. You're expected to participate and, and, and get flowers and, and get nice things. You're expected to do those things. But anybody who's been married knows that over time in a relationship, it's actually the little things that start to mean something. When he's at Publix and he was going in to get some, something else and then he walked by and the flowers were pretty and he thought of you and he bought them and brought them home. Ladies, can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, listen, fellas. It's another freebie. But ladies, when, when something's going on and, and you know this is what he likes or this is what he wants or this would mean a lot to him and so you show up and you do something and, and you, you buy something, you say something in a moment when it wasn't expected and, it, and it's like, whoa, she notices. See, when God shows up in the little things, it shows that he's paying attention. And I love that Jesus does this right here before he's about to do a big thing. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to pray out loud. And I love it when he says it. He was like, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. But I'm not saying this for me and you. I'm saying this for them. 
I'm saying this so that they know that you hear me. What an amazing thing that in the midst of God about to do a big thing, he has time to do a little thing to remind them. Now, verse 43, here comes the big thing. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Is that how he did it? No. I was just preparing you. I'm getting our sound guys and the mic ready because here it comes, baby. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, don't miss this. He's standing outside the tomb. They rolled away the stone, and he's talking to a dead guy. And he's yelling. Don't you know that the people standing around, Mary and Martha, they're like, he done lost his mind. He told us to open the show and it's going to be smelling. Now he's talking to a dead guy. Let me ask you a quick question. The answer is no, by the way. Can dead people hear? No. No. They can't. Let me ask you another question. Can dead people walk out? Why in the world is he doing this? And in the Greek, it's the word duroexo. So Lazarus, he, he said, or Jesus says, Lazarus, duro exo. And the word exo, you can tell EX. If you look around our room here in Canton, we got red letters everywhere that says exit because we got to. And Jasper, I think they're green because that's where you know the exits are. And they're battery backed up. So if everything shuts down and we got to go, you're like, that's the exit. I'm going there. And so Jesus says to Lazarus, exit. And here's what's crazy. Look at verse 44. The man who had died came out. Y'all hear what I just said? Let me read it again. The man who had died came out. I don't know about you, but I ain't never seen a dead man come out. And I'm not talking about like, you know, 90 seconds up in heaven while they were, you know, being resuscitated and they wrote a book about it. I'm not talking about that. That's, I'm all good with that. I'm not saying that though. I'm talking four days in the ground, stone rolled over, they're in linen strips, smelly, stinky, can't hear, not Princess Bride dead, if you haven't seen that movie, great movie, but dead, dead. The man who was dead came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, don't miss this. Again, I'm trying to illustrate this because I want you to feel what that was like. They roll the stone away. These people standing around And they hear Jesus yelling for a dead guy to come out. (laughs) And again, we already did this, but you got to know that they're like, Jesus, he can't hear you. Um, And Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but he don't walk no more. He's horizontal. 
He's wrapped up. He mummified. He did. And just picture this. Just imagine, we got this big cross. Just imagine, here's Lazarus behind it. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And then there's that moment of silence like we had earlier. And then all of a sudden, wouldn't it have been awesome if I would have put on grave clothes? We didn't have time for that. And before Michael Jackson ever made Thriller, Lazarus comes out. I mean, imagine this. They're seeing a dead guy walking. How? How does that happen? Remember I told you earlier in the message I was going to refer to something at the end? Well, this is me now referring to it. When Jesus was having a conversation with Martha... Before the conversation that we read about with Mary, he told her something similar. And she says, I know that you're going to raise him again on the last day. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. And here's what I want you to see. The resurrection is not just something Jesus did. It's someone he is. He has power not only to raise himself, but by his words, raise others. See, Lazarus had no ability in and of himself to hear or come out. So when I say how, it's because Jesus in himself has the power when he just says the words to bring it about. Because he is resurrection. He is life. And at his word, dead people come to life. And you say, well, how is that? Well, see, the story of Lazarus points to a greater story. It points to the story of not just Jesus raising someone else from the dead, but Jesus raising himself from the dead. And there's three major doctrines I want to show you, and I've got them here on the screen. There's three major doctrines that this story highlights that really categorizes our entire faith system as Christians. Three major doctrines. Here they are. The three major doctrines of Christ. Number one is the doctrine of incarnation. And what that is, is that's Christmas. God, the Bible says in John chapter one, the book that we're studying, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, everything was made by the word. And verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God put on flesh, born of a virgin, and became a man. That's crazy. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he put on flesh and blood so that he could be made like his brothers. They had flesh and blood, so he too shared in it. Why? Because the second doctrine says the doctrine of crucifixion, because God can't die, but man can. So in order for God to This is what you got to understand here. I know we're talking doctrines, but hang with me. In order for God to substitute himself in the place for sinners, he had to have a body to sacrifice. 
So he had to put on flesh, become a man, live a sinless, perfect life, and then yet die like this big cross on stage so that he could substitute his body for ours on the cross. So the second doctrine of Christ is not just that he was born, it's that he died. But here's the third one. And the third one is the one that they all hang on. It's the doctrine of resurrection. It's that Jesus rose again. And this is the part that you need to understand. If you were to go study world religions, and I would highly suggest that you do, I don't want you to become a Christian because you think we're trying to trick you. And I'm not a Christian because my mama was a Christian, my grandmama was a Christian. No. I'm a Christian because I studied it, looked at it. And if you look at all the major world religions, there is none of them. None of them have the doctrine, not only of their founder, God, becoming man, but then he substituted himself and then he rose again. See, the doctrine of resurrection is completely unique in Christianity. It's completely unique. You need to understand that. No other faith system on the planet, and I'm not talking bad about them, I'm just saying you need to understand the differences. Because Muhammad's in the ground, Buddha's in the ground, Hare Krishna's in the ground, and you can go visit a lot of their graves. But Jesus is not in the ground because he came back to life. And see, it's those three major doctrines of Christ. Let me do the next set. It's those three major doctrines of Christ. You could call those the trinity of the doctrines of Christ that inform the three major doctrines of Christians. If you want to understand Christianity, these six things are crucial So I've told you the three major doctrines of Christ. Let me give you the three major doctrines of Christians because not only it's about what Jesus did, but it's about what he will do with us. Doctrine number one, the doctrine of regeneration. It's when we are born again. See, it's in the word. Re means again. Generate means, you think about the word generations, there are generations, those people that were born. It comes from the concept of Genesis, when things were created, when things were born. Where the Bible says and already references that when we were born, we were born, our first parents, sinless, but they chose sin, and then death entered the world. And then because of that, now Jesus says, we have to be born again. And Nicodemus says in John 3, how do I go back in my mother's womb? Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. What I'm talking about is being born of the Spirit. And here's what happens. The doctrine of regeneration is when God calls your name and you come out of sin and death. See, in the same way that he called Lazarus' name and said, come out, is the same way that you're saved today when he calls your name and says, come out. See, when I was a teenager, God said my name. He said, Jason, come out. And I was made alive. As Ephesians 2 said, we were dead in our trespasses trespasses and sins, but now God has made us alive together with Christ. That's what it means to be born again. When God opens your eyes, you hear him call your name and you confess in faith and you're saved. That's regeneration. And so you're not saved because you made some good decisions or you showed up at church today. You're saved because God says your name and you were dead and you were made alive. And people are like, how do you get saved? You're like, I don't know. I was dead. I heard his name. And now I'm not. That's regeneration. The second doctrine, the doctrine of sanctification. I know these are big words, but I'm going to boil them down for you. The doctrine of sanctification happens after we're born again. And this is what's, I always say the gospel is good news, but this is far gooder, y'all. Notice when Jesus, after he calls Lazarus' name and he comes out, what does he say to the people around him? 
unbind him and let him go. Let him go from what? Let him go from the things that were holding him down in his dead old life. This sounds eerily familiar to when God, through Moses, told Pharaoh back in the Exodus, let my people go. What does that mean? See, God doesn't just save us. We're born again. We're made alive. But then he frees us from all the old dead attitudes and actions that were a part of our old life. That's the doctrine of sanctification, when God makes us more like Christ, and now we learn how to walk free, and we're no longer bound by the decisions and the choices and the old things in our past that used to keep us dead. But here's the key, the doctrine of sanctification. Watch this. Jesus doesn't command the grave clothes to come off. He commands the people around to take them off. Watch that. Here's what that means. God can raise you from the dead by himself. He needs nobody else. But God sanctifies you and frees you, not by himself, but through the power of his word and the people of God. That's how it works. That's called the church. And I know for the last few years, our rhythm of being the church and gathering together has been disrupted. I get that, no qualms with it. But here's what I'm saying. You can't grow and become the person that is walking in freedom by yourself. You need the word of God through the spirit of God and the people of God coming together, working in tandem to free you. You wonder why you keep struggling with the same sins? It's because you have nobody around you calling you out for blind spots because you're walking around with grave clothes on and everybody's like, bro, what are you doing? But there's a lot of Christians walking around like zombies still, like I got all these grave clothes on and they're like, but I love Jesus. You, you have a blind spot, you're walking. How crazy would it have been for Lazarus to keep walking around with his grave clothes? I just like them, they feel good. But Jesus commands those standing around, unbind him, let him go. So some of you today need to hear Jesus call your name for the first time and you're born again. But some of you have already had that happen, but yet you're not walking yet in freedom and you keep wondering why. And the reason why is because you have run from community, not ran to it. You've ran from the very people that can help you. You haven't joined a group, come to recovery, come through grief share, come through something, get into a counselor, talk to a pastor, join a team, be a part of a local church. It doesn't have to be our church, just some church where people are seeing you and you're seeing them and they're helping you see the things that you can't see. See, that's the doctrine of sanctification. But there's a third one, the doctrine of glorification. And if the other two weren't great, God, this one's even greater. The doctrine of glorification is this. Not only will Jesus make you alive in him, not only will he make you like him, but one day he will make you a new body. He will make you a new glorified body. See, Lazarus was raised physically. Jesus was raised physically. His physical body came out of a physical tomb. And he still has that same physical body. 
It's in a glorified state now. Now and forevermore, Jesus will have flesh. And what's amazing is when he returns, he will raise our dead bodies if we trusted in him in this life and he will bring our spirit and body back together and we'll have a new body and this body, the Bible says, will never cry anymore. We'll never have pain anymore. Aren't you looking forward to that? No knee pain, no back pain. No like pulling your back and people are like, what'd you do? And you're like, bro, I got out of bed. It was it. Like I, I bent over and put on my underwear, bam. Come on, somebody. No more trans fat and carbs anymore. Praise the gentle Jesus. And, and y'all think I'm playing? I'm for real. And, and you need to know this because this is your future. The Bible says that when Jesus returns, there will be a new heaven. A new heaven will come down and a new earth. The old things will pass away and there's newness and this new heaven and new earth will be physical. We will not be angels like floating around on clouds playing harps with arrows. That's Cupid and Hallmark. You will have physical bodies and there will be a physical afterlife and there will be mountains and oceans and rivers and streams and you'll get to visit them all and won't have to pay an airfare. And you'll get to lay down, the Bible says, with the lion and the lamb, and there will be no death anymore. That's the doctrine of glorification. God will raise you up just like Jesus was raised, just like Lazarus was raised. And that, my friends, is the story of Easter. Those are the doctrines. So hear me, you can see all that if, if you believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of the story of Lazarus, but ultimately of Jesus. God, thank you that Jesus gave a precursor because even though he raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus still died. And Lazarus' body is still in the ground now. But your body is not. And when you said on the cross, it is finished, means it was done. What needed to be done had been done. You had paid for our sins. But then, God, you rose again, defeating death, taking away its sting. And you exist right now in a glorified, risen body. And God, you offer us the same resurrection. You will regenerate us, make us alive. You will sanctify us, make us like you. And one day you will glorify us when you return, resurrecting us too, if we'll believe. So God, I pray right now for those that don't believe, ask you to say their name and bring them out. No one looking around or talking here as we close. 
If I were to ask you today, are you saved? And then if I were to ask you why, the only answer is because he called my name. Not because you're good, because here's the deal, you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. But Jesus would love nothing more today than to call your name and have you come out of death and in faith trust him and be saved. So if that's you, if you want to pray and trust Christ, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. You don't have to come down front. Nothing like that. But if you sense today that God's calling your name and you want to trust him for the first time, then you can pray with me. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sin. I believe that you've called my name and I'm asking you to bring me out of death and into life. Save me. Forgive me. I'm trusting Jesus alone. Thank you for loving me. Now, again, nobody looking around or talking here. If you're in one of our physical locations, I want to ask you to do one thing. You don't have to come down front, but I do want you to do one thing. Would you just simply lift up your hands so we can see you if you trusted Christ today? Just lift it up. Don't be ashamed, man. This is the greatest day of your life. Just lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Just lift up your hand. Say, that's me. He just called my name. Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. And when they do, you can put your hand down. It's that simple. Because we want to know you. We want to celebrate with you. This is the greatest day of your life when God called your name and you were made alive. You did nothing. Jesus did everything. You just received it by faith. Come on, raise your hand. Thank you. And for those that either just raised your hand or those of us who have raised our hands in the past and we've already trusted Jesus, I want to encourage you. You've been made alive now but you still struggle with sin, it's still a wrestle, and you need to be sanctified, but that happens in community. That happens with the people of God as we gather together in large group like this, in small groups. And so this Easter, make a commitment, you know what, I'm gonna run back towards community. I'm gonna make gathering with the people of God a priority because that is how I grow. That's how the grave clothes come off, that's how I learn how to walk in freedom. And God wants that for you. And this is a church, like I've already said, where you can be honest about what you're struggling with. It's where you are. It's okay. But God doesn't want us to stay there. And by the power of the Spirit of God, through the presence of the people of God, you can be free. Father, I pray that you would continue to move and work, not only in this church, but in churches all over the world. What a privilege and honor it is to preach and to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. God, our entire faith hangs on this. But God, thank you that you're not just making people alive, but you are helping people walk in the freedom that you made them alive too. And so God, help us. Help us to help one another. Help us to be honest with each other. Help us to care for each other, to carry one another's burdens as we all learn to walk in the freedom that Galatians 5.1 says you set us free to have. Thank you, God. There is no message like this. We ask you to bless this in Jesus' name.
Amen.